This is Tell Your Story. Today I'm speaking with Ryan Rugo. How do I best describe Ryan Rugo? It's a bit difficult for me in that he's one of my closest friends, someone who's been there for me through thick and thin. I find that to be a very rare quality in people these days that unconditional friendship, unconditional love, choosing to show up for somebody no matter if they receive anything in return. If I were to sum up Ryan Rucco, that would be it. He is unconditionally giving. Of course, this takes a lot of work. This takes a lot of personal growth, time allocated to one's personal evolution. And this is something that Ryan does not take lightly. He invests the time to read, to think, to ask questions, to be curious in order to evolve into who he has become today. I talk about the word evolve because the way that we met was through Twitter DM in 2012 when I started working for the Brooklyn Nets and the Barclays Center and Ryan, a play-by-play guy for Yes Network, saw a what he called cute girl on the court throwing t-shirts at men. We became fast friends. At first, I was curious about him from a professional standpoint. He, at such a young age, had already achieved so much in that he was on ESPN radio, he was working for Yes Network, he was covering the Brooklyn Nets, doing games for the New York Yankees, and starting to dabble with national broadcasts on ESPN. I quickly found out that I could learn that much more from him on a personal level as well, and that we're both seekers, we're both curious. And so it's been an honor to grow with him as we've evolved into the people that we are today. I think what you'll get from this particular episode is a wealth of wisdom and humility in that as much as he's seeking, he's also able to say, I don't know, I haven't learned this yet good point. Let me consider this. He listens before he responds. And that is something that is both rare in person and especially on television or in any form of media. So I'll let Ryan do the talking. Without further ado, here's my conversation with my wonderful friend, Ryan Rucco. This new iteration of Tell Your Story podcast, I love to have my guests start off with um, throwing off, throwing out some labels that they've either had placed on them or that they wear. And I know it's a very broad question, but I prefer for them to just kind of take that and see where see where it goes. That's a cool question. Um... So I was already excited to come on because I know you're going to ask interesting questions. And you have lived up to the hype right away, so Eliana. So just stop now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would say, are you looking for like a one, like any kind of like one word label type thing or just anything that you associate with yourself or people associate you with? Yeah, whatever comes to okay. mind. Okay. I mean, one thing definitely um, for me that has always been associated with me career-wise that I still feel super attached to is like being being called like a uh, either like a you know young uh you know just in general young if if in the most flattering form it's like young phenom you know mm. um which sounds ridiculously you know gross coming out of my mouth but that's something that has 
you know, been placed on me just because I started in my business young. So people always project what you can be, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, and for me, youth has always been an association because I was always like the youngest kid in my grade, like Mm -hmm. growing up. And so like and I was always because of that amongst, you know, older people. So it's funny that it ended up being a part of my career trajectory as well. And to this day, I feel some sort of connection and attachment to the idea of not just achieving things or experiencing things, but doing them young. Mm -hmm. And so that is something I always feel attached to. Like if I if you tell me, oh, you want to accomplish this or that, I think in my head a lot of times in terms of like, yeah, I don't just want to accomplish that. I want to be like the first or I want to do it, you know, before this age or by this age or whatever, which consciously I don't actually think it's a smart way of looking at it Mm -hmm. because sometimes the timing just isn't up to you and you have to just let it go to fate. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely an association that I have always felt uh, connected to and Mm -hmm. I still do to this day. And sometimes I think it serves me. Uh, and and provides me with positive affirmation and and uh, and confidence, mm-hmm. and then other times I think it it can the youth thing can also be a negative mm-hmm. in this sense that sometimes because of it, because people have known you since a certain age or or have always associated you as you know youth, they see you as that instead of what somebody who maybe hasn't been on that journey with you would see you as. Mm-hmm. So like for me speaking strictly career-wise, it could be hard sometimes maybe for the people who have seen me my whole career to see me as just like a 31-year-old, you know, broadcaster they like rather than like a young kid they've known since they were 19 since or 20 or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think in the whole it helps. Um, but like there are definitely some times where you notice where that label can also just give you something to maybe – overcome or fight against just because you'd be different like out in a free market right than to the people who've known you forever and always kind of saw you as someone young so that would be like the first label i think of that is attached to that Mm -hmm. i connect with that's a lot of thinking for other people yeah it is i do that alianka okay yeah we've established that yeah Um, exactly what other labels um i would say uh broadcaster yeah definitely broadcaster play by play play by play uh you know uh speaker i think a lot of times people associate broadcasting with just like being able to speak well publicly Mm -hmm. too um so i get that label a lot which may or may not be true i don't think you have to be a good speaker to be a good play-by-play guy but a lot of times they go hand in hand Mm -hmm. um like definitely people who know me know like family man like mm-hmm. how close I am with my family that I have a lot of amazing friends that association I get a lot too um definitely uh an overthinker um and then uh and and someone who like will overly seek affirmation and then I'd also say um someone who tries to be like super super positive would be the other like my friends always are like if like if the Yankees are down by whatever I'm like they'll come back and win like they will trust me they will mm-hmm. so uh it's like those those would be some other labels and keto I try and eat keto so I have that label now too <laughs> this is a, a, a health diet 
type thing, yeah. correct? A High fat, of- moderate protein, low carb, get your body in ketosis. Um, so you run off, your brain runs off ketones rather than glucose. Mm-hmm. So you limit the amount of sugar that you have, um, but you you kind of like, you burn fat for fuel rather than glucose. Mm-hmm. But it ends up being like a way of life instead of just like a, a diet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so now I've kind of got linked up with that labeled community as mm-hmm. well, which I kind of like. Yeah, it's part of the Tim Ferriss community. Yeah, it is. What are some of the negative labels that you've carried um, that perhaps you embodied on your own or others have thrown at you? I would go back to saying that, like, the overthinker mm-hmm. um, and the, like, seeking affirmation. Uh, definitely. Those feel like negative things to me, whether they are, I mean, or not, I guess it's up to the interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I'd say those um, th- definitely, uh, you know, those those things can be uh, they they can be manifestations of the overall like insecurity, right, or a lack of patience. I think sometimes too. Um, so sometimes I am. There are certain things that I feel very patient with at this point in my life. Like it's it's hard to upset me over taking too long to, you know, bring my dinner or something. You know what I mean? If I'm at a restaurant, whereas when I was really young, I had like an attitude about those kind of things. But there are other things where I do feel impatient. And so and I think it can be a detriment, kind of like what we were talking about before with like wanting to achieve certain things by a certain age or whatever. And then it it may cloud your decision making a little bit. So I'd say like impatient. um, I can be impatient, definitely. Um, and, uh, what other, what other negative things would I associate with myself or other people would associate with me? Um, I think probably those like an impatient and overthinker would be the, would be the top ones. In the business that you find yourself in, it's so easy to find yourself in this kind of wormhole of criticism. Mm -hmm. Have you not found that or you just avoid that on a Twitter or an Instagram or even in writing somewhere. I'm really lucky that I have experienced way more positive feedback than negative feedback in my career, uh, especially from the people that I value. Mm-hmm. Early on, like if I read something negative on Twitter, because of course it, the medium lends itself to that, right? And uh, and so you are going to see that. I, I don't care who you are or how great you are at what you do. You will have people who will be like, you suck, like or, or whatever it is, right? And so I definitely experienced that still, um, and I and I experienced it, you know, at the advent of this medium too. Because when Twitter kind of became a thing, I was hosting radio shows, right? And so it's this instant feedback from people. And when I was younger, if somebody tweeted at me something like, you know. I hate your voice, you suck, you're terrible, get off the radio, whatever. I would have an emotional reaction to it. What you know? would it be? I would, it would be like that feeling in your stomach like something's wrong, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I would feel bad about myself and I would question myself and my work. I've gotten to the point now where that kind, if somebody tweets at me like, you suck, you literally are the worst NBA announcer, which occasionally I will get tweets like that and I will see them. That has that doesn't register with me emotionally at all anymore. If you had a monitor on me, blood pressure-wise or whatever, you wouldn't see a change at all. It literally has no effect on me. But 
if someone was to tweet at me something like, hey, why are you yelling at me instead of talking to me? Something that feels like a little more cerebral, but is still a critique or is still critical, that will register with me and will get in my head a little bit. So one of the things I've decided to do to mitigate the possibility of that altering the way I perform is I will, and I make it, I sometimes I don't always do it, but in general, my new principles are that I will not check social media during a broadcast. Mm. I will only check it after. And, you know, there's something that feels good when you have a great game and there's a, there's a big, you know, I called LeBron's buzzer beater earlier this year against Minnesota. It's one of five in his career he's had. You know, there's something cool about going on Twitter and seeing all these people be like, oh, my gosh, that was the greatest call, whatever. Oh, I love it, you know. And that feels good. It does feel good, especially as someone who seeks positive affirmation. It feels good to experience that. Um, but the reality is the benefits of that feeling do not outweigh the risks of someone getting in my head during a performance while the performance is going on because nobody knows what sounds good better than me. Nobody's going to tweet at me with a better critical insight than the one I'm giving myself as I'm performing or the one my producer is or my director or the people on my immediate team. So I always feel like anything I need to know within the context of the broadcast to make me perform best can be provided and can be best provided by those of us who are actually a part of the broadcast. And this is what our expertise is. So rather than make myself vulnerable to somebody getting in my head and changing my performance in some way, I will wait and deal with it afterwards mm -hmm. because that is the for me, easier time to digest that kind of comment. That said, it seems that there has been some sort of a personal change where at the beginning you were more vulnerable, fragile, um, and I guess raw in being exposed to negative critique. Um, so what have you done to fill yourself up where that no longer uh, shoots you down as easily? I think that in the beginning, I was looking for people to tell me I was as good as I hoped I was. That you were worthy of the position that you had. Exactly. Perhaps because you were so young. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. And, and so it's like you want to feel like you belong and you feel like you have to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. And I used to notice that just in conversations, you know. Um, and I could think of one <laughs> – this is – revealing to my personality, but also this particular growth you're talking about. Like I can think of one interaction the first time I did national NBA uh, games. The first year I did them, I was, I guess I was 25 or 26, and it was my first game I did with Jeff Van Gundy. And, um, and I can remember, actually we were in the bathroom afterwards, and I can remember just like making some kind of comment where I was like complimenting him but seeking hearing from him that I was, like, worthy of doing a game with him, you know? And I remember, like, that was my motivation for saying whatever I said to him, you know? And I can remember him just kind of, like, reticently being like, oh, yeah, it's crazy what you're, you know, doing for your age. But, like, telling, like, he didn't really, you know, want to go there, you know? And it's so funny because, like, to me now looking back, like, <laughs> I'm sure that's an interaction that didn't register with him at all. Um, but for me, 
it's simultaneously embarrassing because I, I don't want to be that dude and also encouraging because I, ne- I, don't, I don't have those kind of interactions anymore in my career because I have that confidence in myself and my ability. So what got me there is I think the repetitions mm-hmm. of just like knowing like, no, I really can do this. And how do I know that? Well, yeah, naturally I've, without seeking it, I have received different uh, pieces of praise from people I value that makes me feel really good and that builds that foundation of confidence, right? But it's also just the command you feel performing and the way things slow down for you and that you don't encounter anything that feels like you can't handle it. And so the more you do that and the more I did that, the more I felt like that uh, the comfort you feel when you, you're doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, this has always been my dream. And so it's always been um, something that feels like it's like my purpose or is leading me to my purpose. Um, but you also, in the beginning, you still want to be like, all right, this is what I really want, but is it what I'm meant to do? Am I good enough for it? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I think if you if you get those repetitions, you know one way or another. And at some point it clicked for me like I don't need to be – I can even remember the first year I did WNBA. Like I'd hit talk back and be like, hey, we sound all right? How are we sounding? Whatever. Like in to hear my producer, oh, you sound great. Like needing to – if I ever do something like that now, it is purely in the context of like we were doing something unique on the show and I'm wondering how it came out. Not anything to do with like I need to hear I sound good in this game mm-hmm. because I, I've gotten enough reps where I just believe I will. And, uh, and it makes it so much easier to be yourself and to perform when you're not worried about somebody kind of steering you through that performance with, uh, with affirmation. And the reality is you get more of it because it just comes natural via you performing well. Yeah, I think that's an important point to kind of make at this, um, at this point of our conversation and that a lot of people, especially in the younger generation, have this idea that... Um, putting in the hours don't really matter and because one has even in this kind of new trend of positive thinking and living your best life <laughs> it you know fake it till you make it and believe that you can and you will i think that it's misleading because simply believing is not enough you actually have to put in the work and it's important that people hear somebody like you that has that slight hint of self-doubt in their craft because that's the only way that one can learn and I would argue that that is why you were able to get to where you are at such a young age because you didn't step into these place into these spaces with ego surely ego does exist in that in in when you're seeking for validation Mm -hmm. but it's more about not look at me and how amazing I am, but tell me that I'm on the right path. Yeah, exactly. It, n- no question. And the reality is, like, it, I mean, you said a lot of interesting things that I totally agree with there. Um, but the for me, the reality is anytime I do something new for the first time, I'm always nervous and I always have a little doubt. Every big opportunity I've gotten, the first time I went into it, even though I craved it and I wanted it, I wondered, like, am I really ready for this? Mm-hmm. And 
it's no different than the prince who always wants to be king, but then that first day is like, you don't know what it's like until you actually sit on the throne, right? And so you go into something and you're like, I know I'm ready for this, or I believe I'm ready for this, but the first time you experience it, it's still nerve-wracking. You know, it's it's still it's still like a little bit of doubt about, okay, now that I'm actually doing it, am I actually capable or ready? I feel that way when I do something for the first time always, but it's important to push through that because if you don't, you will never grow and you will never see if you are capable. And inevitably, at some point in that performance always, I feel this comfort of like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is why I did the prep. Like, I have this whole team around here to support me, mm-hmm. you know, and I I am ready for this and I can do this, you know. And But that doesn't mean that there's not some doubt in those, you know, initial phases, whether it's at the beginning of a career, like we were talking about a moment ago, overarching, or just at the very beginning of a new assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you are so right that uh, people – just expect sometimes to be experiencing their greatest triumph right away because of the culture you just described. And it's important to remember that it takes steps and work. Like you you don't become an expert right away. You have to master your craft. The 10,000 hours thing is a real thing. Obviously, there can be different permutations of it, but you, you don't just like walk on air and become the greatest broadcaster of all time just like you don't walk into a kitchen and become the greatest chef of all time or athlete or anything yeah exactly there's talent there and that might be evident in performance one where somebody's like yo that person can do this but it's about projecting that like lebron james is way better in year 15 than he was in year one you could tell where he might be at year 15 in year one but it took a lot of work to get to that place and this is no different so like the belief is a foundational thing, but it is not the key that will unlock everything you want. It has to be work. There's a Jim Carrey quote I love, and I know Jim has gone like really far on the woke train lately, but mm. I, I love um, where he says, uh, as far as I can tell, it's about asking the universe for what you want and working towards it without worrying about how it comes to pass. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it's like you can't just like sit in your room and eat a sandwich and believe you're going to be president of the United States and just become it. You can you can't get there without the belief that you're going to. But then there are steps that you need to actually tangibly do to make that happen, you know, Um, and and control what you can control and let go of the rest, which is obviously a tough mental game. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's not just like belief and and positive thinking are essential things, but they're not the only things. I also want to say that when we're on the trajectory toward the goal that we have in mind, the big, big end picture, even though I don't like to use the word end, a lot of times people stop doing because the step feels like a step back Mm -hmm. or a step to the side or it doesn't feel like that was my plan. Um, and I think that it takes people longer and inevitably sets them back from really ever achieving their goal because instead of trusting the process, they're trying to control the journey and how they're getting there. And, you know, in hindsight, it's obviously always easier to recognize uh, 
where opportunities come in because there's divine timing and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I remember years back when you were deciding whether or not to stay on radio, you know, and how difficult of a decision that was because it would be less work, less hours, but more space to welcome in the abundance that would come your way in terms of television work. Mm-hmm. And being aware enough to see that and to strike um, and strike inactively, which is the hardest thing for people to do and to understand. That's a great phrase. I've never heard that phrase, but I like it. Yeah, the, you know, it's the non doing mm-hmm. that sometimes creates the most movement. And so that is where I feel people get frustrated and they're not receiving the immediate results, which I suppose would be interesting to pose the question for you then in the label that you carry that is called impatience. How do you find balance? Yeah, I think um, the... The radio decision would kind of maybe crystallize that answer to me a little bit because in that case, I was thinking about holding on to what I have, right? And and part of that equation is also money, you know? I mean, the radio job, I'm lucky that I'm in a field that's lucrative, you know, uh, regardless of the radio, but that was like, That was a lot of money that I would also just be punting on. Mm -hmm. And that was a comfort. And that was something I knew I could do and like felt like kind of could like ride out and always have, you know. And and so there's a security there to it. Even though it's a volatile business, there was some kind of security like I also got this gig. Right. And um, and there's this great, great quote. I forget if it's from Joseph Campbell or who it's from, Um, but it's like uh, when one definitively commits oneself, providence moves too, and all sorts of uh, acts that never would have conspired to happen all of a sudden will. Like, and I think it's like about letting go of that possibility of option A not working. That um, all that, of a sudden option yeah. B pops up. Yeah, like you need you if you're if you're constantly hedging, you will never get to what you actually want. Because you're basically speaking out into your own journey like, I don't really think this one's going to work. That's why I also have this going on over here, you know, um, and, and it's constantly hedging your bets. And so I think that uh, for, for me, with that particular decision, I actually felt it within me. I felt like I feel like I'm holding on instead of like dashing forward, you know. It's like there's a there's a, a great lightness and energy to just like like running in the sunshine or the breeze or whatever and just like attacking what you want, right? Um, and there's a different weight when you're trying to like hold on to everything. Like that, just if you can like picture what that feels like, it's not good. And it doesn't feel like you can get where you want to go because you're trying to drag everything with you, right? And so for me, I actually felt that way. Um, and I felt like I'm, ho- I'm holding on. I should never feel that way. Like you shouldn't feel like you're holding on. Um, and uh, and the, the, the way my kind of impatience comes into that is it's a, it's a different 
it, it's a little bit of a different feeling, but it's sort of the same energy that like if I'm feeling like, well, why isn't this happening? Oh, like, you know, it's like there's a there's a there's like a forceful feeling, you know, it's like a it's like a tension the same way that holding on feels like a tension rather than a flow. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I what I when I get in those places and I get in them all the time, you know, but it's it's like about trying to have some sort of mechanisms that bring you back, you know, mm-hmm. like first accepting that you're human. And so these things are going to happen, you know, and which that's hard for me sometimes because it's like you have the knowledge. Why are you letting this happen? Well, no, because you're human. And sometimes you're just going to have an emotional reaction to something. But then how do you get through that? And so for me, it's like feeling that like this. I like to use the phrase in my head, like flow versus force. Um, and this feels like a force, just like holding on feels like a force, you know, impatience to me ends up feeling like a force because it's like, I'm forcing this to happen at a certain time. No, like have some trust, let it flow. And usually it might take me like a day or two days or, or a couple hours or whatever it is. But usually at some point I will be able to get myself back to that feeling of just like flowing towards what I really want. Mm-hmm. And trusting that whatever that means will come into my life and whatever it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and you can't control every part of the journey. You can just like honestly evaluate for you what feels like rhythmic towards what you want and try and stay on that path. Yeah, I think in a way what you're saying is what you persist resists. Yeah. You know, when you're squeezing so tight, it just it wants to get away can i can i can i use a great star wars quote i love sure that that totally is analogous to what you're talking about your brother and sister would be proud of me for using this since they're big star wars fans unlike you um but uh there's in uh, episode four a new hope which is the first star wars movie that was ever released there's this great quote uh from princess leia when she's talking to a grand moff uh tarkin who's uh, about to like do something sinister Mm-hmm. And she says His to names him, mean nothing to me. Okay, good. Uh, and she says to him, uh, the stronger you tighten your grip, the more star systems slip through your fingers. Mm. And I love that. And it's kind of exactly what you're talking about. Like the more you try and control, the less you control. Mm. And that is an analogy I try and come back to when I feel those moments. But I have to like remind myself all the time because that's a – you know, when you when you trust yourself too, like you want more control. You know, I I can remember having that argument in in the Yankees booth with Joe Girardi, who at the time was broadcasting for us before he became Yankees manager, Michael Kay, who's current Yankees broadcaster, and uh, I think it was Ken Singleton, who's one of our broadcasters too. And we were debating like, do you worry about things you can't control or things you can? And uh, and Michael was like, I worry about the things I can't control. Because the ones I can, I know I'm going to take care of. Mm-hmm. And I was like 19 at the time or 20. And I was like, 100% agree. Like, I worry about the things I can't control. Because the ones I can, I'm like, no, I got this, you know. Um, and Joe, who's like a very, I think, logical thinker, he's just like, yeah, but you can't control them. So what function does that worry have? And he's right, you know. And so it's like – I. It's like a natural emotional subconscious reaction sometimes to be like, oh, there's nothing I can do about that and then let it eat you up. But then you have to at some point be like, yeah, but this doesn't serve a purpose anymore. And it just derails me. Yeah, I feel that it's the same concept that I bring to my workshops in that I provide a space of the unknown. Um, It allows people to 
enter into a room in which they don't know anybody and they also don't know what the topics of discussion will be. Um, and so they cannot come in with preconceived notions or a persona that they've carefully curated in order to feel like they matter and they belong. <laughs> and they have to surrender into the space of no control and just sit with that anxiety. And it's it's fascinating to watch because the more evolved and aware people, not to say that they walk in with a swagger, but they're just a bit more comfortable in the way that they are seated and the way that they discuss things. And those who are not used to this type of practice are very, very tight. You know, that again, like trying to hold on to things and control it. And as soon as they just take in that deep breath and they start speaking about their flaws, which is my first question, immediately there's just this release in the room and there's that flow that enters in and all of a sudden we're not individuals, we're a collective. And I think being in a collective allows us to understand that we're not so different, that we actually have very similar fears and insecurities and flaws. And the more that we talk about them, especially to ourselves, the more that we can therefore be in control of what we can be in control of mm. because we know ourselves so intimately that nobody can take that away from us. Right. I think that's perfectly put. It's also, for everyone out there listening, a good reason why you should go to these workshops <laughs> <laughs> because in all seriousness, like how many places create a space like that with those kind of conversations? Not to promote the business end of this because that's not doing justice to the depth of your words, but I totally agree with what you are what you're describing and um and i think that there is a lot of times uh and i feel it with myself when i have moments where i expose a part of me that i don't like mm -hmm. um i like resist it and i'm like oh, i shouldn't have done this or i shouldn't have said this or i shouldn't have been that or like why am i feeling this or whatever it might be and then inevitably, once I get away from that kind of like emotional disgust with myself, like I see the value in not resisting unearthing those things. Because the more you become aware of them and are honest about them, inevitably like the, the more comfortable you get with yourself and then the less they kind of come out, I feel like, because you, you just end up feeling better and better about yourself. It's like, it's like what causes you more, more pain? Um, the, you know, the, the parts of you that you don't love or the negative energy when you resist those parts. Mm -hmm. Like, and I often think it's the second, it's the fact that you're like, keeping it bottled up inside and, and resisting just like letting that out, you know, and, and, and that it's like, it's okay to have those parts of you. Like, that's all right. That's part of the human experience. And so I feel like that is, um, part of getting to know yourself that helps you grow too, is like not feeling like you have to hold yourself to a standard where those things never show themselves. Um, and, I think it's even harder in when you're talking about curating an image in like a social media climate because mm -hmm. we have uh, an actual platform that is, I mean, in life, people in general 
have already been uh, herded towards the curation of their own image, right? And who they're comfortable to show their doubts or fears with or whatever it might be. But it's amplified by, you know, however many degrees when you also have an actual medium that is has somehow been designed to display this curated image. So now it's not just, you know, you walking around life and doing that to a certain degree, but also trying to live up to your social media avatar. Mm -hmm. So you're living up to two avatars, you know, the one that that is created by your ego just in general, and then the one that you create for social media purposes as well. And like all the while, I feel like the soul is just like, please just let me be. I just want to like be my real character, you know, mm -hmm. um, and not play a part. Uh, so and that's like one of the things I think is cool about what you've done with your social media account is you kind of been like, nope, I'm going to strip all of this. And like, yeah, some of this is going to be like raw and like maybe not easy for you to digest. And it's not the most soluble content, but like this is the truth. And uh, and that's OK. And yeah. And also recognizing the fact that, um, again, because ego is so trippy in that it wants it wants to seduce you. So in being cognizant or aware enough to know that this truth telling is coming out of a space of love and not out of ego of mm -hmm. let me shock you, let me show you. Um, I want to ask, you know, we're, we're, we're basing kind of this conversation on the things that you've learned that have allowed you to come into yourself. So that's, to me, like the third chapter of your life now is you're really fully embracing who you are. Um, the, the second chapter, the middle chapter, was you trying to fit in mm -hmm. right um, because I really do believe that all of these insecurities and you know all the, the impatience the self-doubt is a learned behavior you know if we're lucky and we're born into a family that loves us we have all the tools to feel like we belong and we matter but life strips those away from us so I'm curious if you'd be willing to share with us some of the events in your life that stripped away the strengths that you have, that you have been rebuilding and are now actively living. Yeah, that's um, you love those deep questions, Elianka. Um, I uh, definitely because I grew up in a home that could not have been fizzing with more love than it was, uh, and confidence. I literally was told my entire life I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and I was supported in action, uh, with that, um, axiom. And my, like, I can remember my dad sat me down the day before I was about to, uh, start college at Loyola before I transferred to Fordham. And, um, I spent one year at Loyola in Baltimore. And he was like, he, he wanted to have like a, you know, a serious talk with me. And he sat me down and, and my dad is incredibly supportive and has a huge heart. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not like going to cry a lot or anything like that. Um, but he was like emotional with me. And he was just like, like, I want you to know, I really, truly believe you can do 
whatever you want. Uh, Ryan, I, I could I see you if you want to be president of the United States, you will do that. Mm-hmm. That's how I really see you. And uh, and so that was the culture I grew up in, gratefully, where I have this loving, supportive, awesome, smart sister who's been like a best friend to me since we were, you know, since, you know, whatever. She was like 12 or 13, you know, when you really start to connect more, mm-hmm. uh, although we got along my entire life. And, and then I have parents who always filled me with love and opportunity. Um, and so because of that, like I always went into things believing like I can, I can, I can. Right. And so you're right, especially in my case, anything that creates doubt or a lack of confidence is some sort of learned behavior or reaction to some sort of stimuli that I experienced. Um, and I think for me, I'm, I, there I'm trying to think if there's like specific examples where I had the wind taken out of my sails, you know, because I've always been like a super happy-go-lucky, um, positive dude. I can remember when I was visiting the high school I went to, Hackley, um, feeling like so energized by uh, I was like such a big sports fan. And, like, just love talking about sports. And I connected with everybody there um, about, uh, about sports. And, uh, and I, I can remember, like, at some point during my visit with the older grade, you know, because I was hanging out with the freshmen to see as an eighth grader if I wanted to go there then, having, like, overheard somebody who I thought I was, like, connecting with, like, about this sports thing, like, basically bashing my enthusiasm for, you know, whatever, being some sort of a nerd or something what like that. I, I don't, I don't remember, honestly. Um, but I just remember thinking like, oh, like I thought we were like hitting it off, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm lucky because in the encounters like that, um, <clears throat> if I had any of them growing up, I still always had this incredible base of friends in my hometown that I grew up with that, they were just like great, kind, and cool people. So they almost like acted as a buffer to me in any other social setting where I was trying to fit in. It's like if I, I can remember it happening where like the first couple of years I was in high school, going to a high school that was an hour away from where I grew up, where I didn't know any of the kids until I got there. Um, and it wasn't ever that hard for me to make friends gratefully, but I can remember not really feeling comfortable socially there um other than connecting with like my teammates over sports because I, I could do that right um and I can remember like kind of just being part of a couple groups where like we got along but I never felt totally comfortable and like maybe one or two people would definitely like use me for like a butt of a joke or something like that you know or like to prop themselves up as kids do as people do with their circles of people right mm-hmm. um and uh and every time then once they would meet my group of friends at home, that would stop. And they were kind of like the, 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 the social buoy that I needed um, to deal with those things. But I think some of that probably, you know, um, jaded me in some ways. And then definitely a compilation of my romantic experiences uh, created that in me too. Because I yearn to love. That's that's always been me like and I 
and I and I don't want to guard my acts of affection and and I and I want to I want to just you know I want to blurt it out as soon as I feel it you know um, and I think that I had multiple experiences um, growing up where I thought that's just like how it was you know like I, I didn't how, I how was it like Meaning. Like, like I, I thought being... you could just do that, you know, and it would be okay and received well. And like, and so when it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, it was like, it made me feel less comfortable with just like, you know, pouring out my heart or whatever, diving headfirst into something and made me seek more of what we were talking about before. Like, what were the events that made me want to seek affirmation or whatever? I think those events did, you know, because I, and, and part of it might've been also like, I didn't have, like, my first girlfriend, I think I was a junior in high school. So I was, it was, that was like, that felt late at the time, you know? Um, And because of that, like, my learning curve was always a little delayed, it felt like for me. Like, I had to learn that, like, you need to slow drip some of these things, and, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I... I didn't, I would just like jump immediately to, you know, wanting to just like be this like totally, uh, you know, um, head in the clouds, loving guy. Yeah, exactly. Without any kind of like, any kind of um, tangible worry or structural procedure, you know, or or game or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and a lot of times like that also, that was part of like being a, a nice guy too, which was you know, for a lot of girls is not attractive at those ages, you know? And so then that also makes you seek more affirmation because you feel like you need to know that this is for real because you've kind of gotten, you've experienced that, like being the nice guy isn't, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of those experiences, I think, you know, help to shape me like needing that affirmation more than just feeling, you know, totally confident, whatever, you know? Yeah, it's almost what ends up happening is this ongoing rejection of your truth. Yeah, yeah. And so you then end up doubting your own truth, and you end up doubting whether or not you can trust yourself because there must be something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. If this is what I had always assumed to be correct, but it is not working then there must be something wrong with me. And so you start seeking and start filling yourself up with examples of those who do not align with you. Mm -hmm. And in that space, you become lost. Yep, 100%. And that's a much shorter and more eloquent way to succinctly put what I was trying to express. Yeah, 100%. And that's where... Hopefully, as you get deeper and deeper into your journey, right, you get more and more comfortable with recognizing when you feel that connection to whoever you're around and the added value of the people in your life, you know, not just romantically, but anybody, you know, whenever you feel that like desire to fit in, that probably is a signal that this person doesn't co-align with your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I always think that the, you know, one of the, the you, you're not going to like go through life and never feel that need or, or pressure at different, of course, at some point you are, but hopefully the longer you grow, uh, the shorter the term is before you reset or like kind of like snap out of it and realize like, no, this doesn't feel like flow. This feels like force. Mm -hmm. And like when I'm me, it's flow. And I, and, and like, that doesn't have to mean anything specific. The people that are supposed to be around in those cases, like they should be. It's no different than like a long friendship, right? Some of them are amazing forever. And you feel like always at ease in that person's presence. And like you can hang out no matter how long it's been and it just feels comfortable and great. And you feel like the best version of yourself. And then other times it's like, no, at this point, me still trying to make an effort here is like holding on and not allowing me to be the version of myself I want to be, you know, mm -hmm. or it could be the reverse. It could be I'm trying to hang out with this group. And when I'm hanging out with this group, I just don't really like the version of myself. And you don't like it because it just doesn't feel true like you. And really this other person I'm neglecting because I, they, you know, they didn't feel cool enough or whatever but they're the ones who really make me feel like me and value my truth. And that's who I should be surrounding myself with because that's when I'm going to live the journey I'm supposed to. Yeah, I think the best way of kind of describing that is a feeling of, of anxiety. Yeah. Uh, when you feel off because some people aren't able to identify what that feels like in the body, but it, it feels like anxiety. It feels uncomfortable. It feels hot almost. Yeah, it's, it does. Yeah. Know, because it's just your 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 body is physically reacting yes. to something it doesn't like, and and the body always tells the truth. Um, we're just conditioned to to ignore it, um, and so you know it's it's interesting because what as I sit in these workshops with a group of men, a lot of the things that we talk about. Um, that cause men, I mean, and women too, but we'll stick to men, um, that cause men to move outside of themselves are these societal expectations of what a man is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. um, and so with with what you're saying, you know, I, I don't really talk often about what happens within the circles, but one in particular, there was a young man who was the youngest in the group and said, you know, I'm that guy who falls in love right away. And I fantasize about us getting married and, and the life that we're going to have. And that's me. And everyone laughed. You know, everyone laughed at him and mm -hmm. said, that's such a girl thing to do. Yeah. And me as a 31 year old woman, I looked at him and thought, what a guy. Yeah. Like, this person's amazing. Yeah. This person at the age of 23 understands life that much more deeper than the rest of these guys collectively uh, because that's authentic to him. Yes. Right. Whatever that means. And it takes some work to be comfortable with that. Or not being permeated by those things we're talking yeah. about that kind of condition you to go away from what feels like that, you know? Um, in that specific example, it's interesting, right? Because 
I'm totally that dude too. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely that dude. Um, and, but one thing that I think in that particular case, you have to be not to evaluate it, but like you got to be a little bit careful of is like when you start projecting expectations, then sometimes you force things that weren't flowing in that direction. Mm -hmm. Right. But feeling that and being excited by that shouldn't be something you're ashamed of. It's a beautiful thing of life. You know, it should be something you feel totally comfortable with. I feel like guys feel similarly when they talk about crying, you know, like you're not supposed to cry. You're a guy like this dude's crying, whatever. I'm like, I think it's beautiful to see anybody cry, you know, um, because it's just like, it's just a real reaction to things. And, and to see, um, to see men cry, I think is a really powerful and important thing. And I've posted occasionally like this Jay-Z quote, um, mm -hmm. where, yeah, he talks about like, there's nothing stronger you can do as a man than cry. And I love that because like there's Jay-Z who may by some be thought of as someone who would like never be seen crying in public or whatever, you know, and he's, and he's blessing it and co-signing it because he's a really evolved dude and he's a really woke guy and he understands like how honest that is. And so I hope that that 23 year old, uh, maintains that like comfort with himself because he's gonna he's gonna have this like really fruitful and divine experience here on earth because he's not he's not just trying to go through life like without exposing himself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're nearing uh the end but i, I don't want to near the end alianka this is fun i know i, I know. know um but i i do want to quickly yeah ask you because since we're on the topic of masculinity and stereotypes of men you know, you're now hosting a podcast for the Players Trib, and um, you sit alongside CC Sabathia, who is, I mean, I've met him, I've interviewed him, and he seems to me like this big, lovable bear. Mm -hmm. um, and that's as far as I know uh, anything about him. But I I'm, I'm more curious about, you know, as you sit around athletes and you create content for sports fans, I, I mean, how deep do you go or can you go or do you even desire to go um, with these personalities? Um, or is that not important um, in terms of them as men and, or how complex and, and diverse and, and potentially emotional? Yeah. We, I would probably go a lot deeper with that stuff than CC would. Um, but, but actually we do, we do end up, going uh getting into a lot of that stuff it's a con it's, it's interesting because it's a combination of like wanting to have this be something light and fun right. but also wanting people to tell stories and and to to give insights that are not something that's been heard before um and i think part of that is getting at the bottom of you know somebody's truth and so we we do get into some of that stuff in fact recently when we were interviewing um Aaron Judge, uh, as well as uh, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was with the Yankees in spring training for like a week, and I was down there during that time. And so we did a pod with, with Aaron and, and then with also with Russell. And one of the things we ended up talking about was like the different ways in which 
you center yourself and how you react to fear and you know what are the videos or like quotes that you use to motivate and then one of the things that combines emotion and fun that we'll ask a lot of times is like what's the last movie that made you cry you know because cc cries at everything and i cry at everything mm. um and uh and you know a lot of times that can be insightful but also fun for guys to because it's almost like a a soft landing for them to ad admit emotion or whatever right mm -hmm. um but I would so I think we do get into it um, more than your typical sports interview, you know, and I think it's interesting even to hear like Cece talk about like when he's on the mound and he gets distracted or worried about something or like his head's not in the right place, how he has he will either find his family in the crowd and that like centers him mm -hmm. or he has some some mantras or quotes that he'll repeat to himself while he's on the mound. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like that's an. 18-year veteran who's won a Cy Young Award, who's been to multiple All-Star Games, who's probably going to the Hall of Fame, has won a World Series, and still has those moments out there when he's doing his thing. It's not like we put him, you know, in a scuba suit and said, go swim with sharks. He's on the mound where he's supposed to dominate, right. and he still finds himself in those moments where he needs to collect himself and recenter. And I think that's like a, a beautiful thing for someone like him to admit because if CC Sabathia can get to that place where he still needs to be centered and he has a mechanism for it, well, who isn't going to be in that place, you know? And he has a real, like, kind of ease and comfort about addressing that because he is someone who can, you know, get along with anyone because he's, he's comfortable with himself and he's just, like, a really gregarious guy and he loves life. Um, so I think his nature um, and then my desire for inquisition probably makes it a little easier hopefully for athletes to delve into some of those topics than they would elsewhere for you personally after having so many of these conversations what's like your one big takeaway what have you learned that everybody like everybody wants to share more than they do mm. everybody people are are dying to share but they just need a setting where they feel comfortable sharing mm. and uh and i love that because I, I like learning about people mm. just like you do. You know, I, I like hearing people's stories. Like I, I like, you know, their insights and, and, you know, sometimes because of the way I can apply it to myself in my own life and sometimes just cause it's entertaining. Um, and I think the realer and more in depth people can go, you know, like just from a broadcast standpoint, the number one thing I try and avoid is cliches. Cliches have no meaning, you know? Well, like really sanitized conversations are almost a larger form of a cliche, right? Like not really penetrating anybody. Um, maybe that's not the best word to use, uh, but like they're not, okay. yeah, they're, they're, they're really not, you know, giving added value, right? They're just happening. Mm -hmm. And so I love when you create a setting, which I think is done mainly because of how comfortable CC makes everybody, um, where you can see people like share more than they usually would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, it's just um, active listening. That's a great phrase. So we have inactive doing. Was that no inactive striking or striking inactively was your phrase earlier, and then active listening. So, cliches aside, uh, one of the pillars on which this stands is speak your truth. Mm -hmm. uh, what would be your truth that you'd be willing to share with us and speak with us today? Hmm. Just anything. Yeah. Anything in life. 
my truth is uh, I have I have incredible um, like I love life and I have such a, a a passion and a hunger for life and for the experience of it and I have always found incredible fulfillment uh, from my career and from my family and uh, and from my friends um, and. I, I, it, it, it like, I feel like su- super grateful all the time that I have this support system and then I, ha- and then I get to do what I love all the time. And at the same time, now that I've experienced, uh, those things for so long, I definitely realize like how much I want, you know, someone to share it with mm-hmm. and, when you do the job that I do where you're, you know, I spend hundreds of nights a year in a hotel room. I think when you're climbing, um, as I, as we all always are, but like, especially in that beginning when you're hustling and whatever, you're able to sort of mask, um, maybe loneliness that you could feel. And I feel that sometimes, you know, when I'm away doing my work, you know, and I think that, uh, that part of, that I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm excited about that part of my journey. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also excited to uh, continually continually get to that place of like being totally comfortable with myself in, in all areas of my life. Like there's a great quote from Vince Scully that was given to him by Red Barber. Um, and it, it's about, uh, it was his foundational piece of advice broadcasting. And it was, remember, there's only one thing you can bring in the booth with you that nobody else can, yourself. And I've used that forever mm. in broadcasting. Like, you have to be so comfortable with yourself. Because it's the only thing that makes you unique when you get on the mic. And, and that's what will separate you. And so, like, I... I'm excited, like, the more conversations I have like this, or the more I read, or whatever to almost like use that analogy, which I think I've done really well in work and use it in every area of my life and be excited to see what kind of adventures end up, you know, coming into my world, the more comfortable I feel with that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, and my truth is that like I stumble sometimes with that and then I get mad at myself because I feel like I shouldn't. Uh, and, uh, and then I realize I'm human and that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at some point I want, this journey to take me to a place where I can help positively influence the way dialogue is received. Because I think our biggest problem in society is the way we communicate or the way we don't communicate. Mm -hmm. And I want at some point this path that I'm on, uh, and I think the more comfortable I get with myself, the more it will lead me there, to take me to a platform where I can remind people there's a difference between dialogue and debate. Like that's my, one of my big, if I had a global billboard, like Tim Ferriss asked, like that would be my quote on it. Like choose dialogue over debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, cause debate is, I mean, I'm obviously parsing words and there are some colloquial understandings of these words that would make them more similar than the way I interpret them. Mm-hmm. But like debate is often phrased and presented as an ego contest. Are you right? Or am I right? Who was right at the end of it? It's not a learning experience. It's not a listening experience. And for me, like dialogue is really about learning and listening and hearing what someone else has to say. And 
I think that's how we become more productive because you're not labeling, you're not taking sides, you're not predetermining, oh, no, no, this is what I believe. This is what needs to happen. This is the policy change that needs to go on, whatever, whatever. And it doesn't mean not to have conviction in things. Of course it does. But like really allow yourself to hear before you decide. And so I hope at some point my journey takes me to a place where I can help facilitate that in a larger number of people because I just think that is one way to hopefully influence positive change on the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, flaws. What are some of the flaws that you have that you may be working on that you're proud of that you can list out for us? The, I mean, definitely uh, dwelling. Like, it, I, if I, like, if I do something wrong on air or something or I say something that I didn't want to, you know, it's it will, like, stick with me for a while. There's still a game, this great game I called between St. John's and Fordham when I was, like, 22. That was an incredible comeback, and I had the wrong amount of points they came back from in the second half. They came back from, like, 19, and I kept saying 20. And it's still, like, if I think about it, like, it was an amazing broadcast. It was an incredible night, but it will it always will bother me like mm-hmm. when I think back to it. So I almost can't think of this memory because of that, you know? So I don't really dwell in it as much as like, it's not like coming up every day, but I almost can't like get to it. But I have that in me in every area of my life where it's like, you know, just letting go of dwelling. That's that's because it doesn't serve a positive purpose, you know, moving forward. Maybe addressing it does like understanding, no, no, make sure you have the right score next time. That serves a positive purpose. Mm-hmm. But like, Continuing to just like cycle in the negative feelings does not. Um, so dwelling, I'd say, um, is one thing I'm working on. Uh, the 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 need to um, to constantly hear affirmation uh, is something else I'm I, I don't want. You know, I've kind of gotten over it in my professional career uh, because of what we talked about earlier, and now I want to try and get to a place where I'm I don't need as much of it in my personal life, and. Uh, and so that's a goal for mine, uh, a flaw that I'm working on. Um, and I also think, like, really trying to um, – I try and be considerate and and help the people that I love. But, like, I will notice that sometimes I reach out to them much more when I need something. And I – even if I'm kind, always, I don't want to be that person, you know? Uh, so trying to work on thinking about, like, how I can give instead of get from people who are always present in my life in some way, but maybe I quite obviously spend more communication on them when I'm in need of something mm-hmm. uh, and trying to always feel like, how can I serve you? Because ultimately that does serve yourself, and it's amazing how things come back around. So those are some things, like, just trying to work on and get better at as I continue this this evolution. What would you say is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Hmm. That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, what's the lesson that took me longest to learn? You know what? Sometimes sleeping on it is a good idea. Hmm. And I used to always kind of just think like, no, like, you know, you think something, you feel something like say it, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, But the reality is when you are, I mean, you actually taught me about like how at night you're just more vulnerable, right? Like 
But it's also like for me, what I realize is that if I am tired, I am just much more temperamental. And obviously I'm not unique in that sense, but I really notice a difference with me. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times maybe like I would just always feel like I'm going to, I'm going to react the way I want to react. Yada, yada. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Like timing of it doesn't matter, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. The impatience as well. Um, and I kind of, it took me a long time to realize like, no, take a deep breath and get a good night's rest and then see how you feel about something, you know, because it's been remarkable to me how much differently I will think or feel about something after getting some rest. Yeah. And You're not so, in, a, in that emotional state anymore. Exactly. And so that lesson took me a long time to learn, but I think I have learned that one. The kid who is in eighth grade visiting Hackley, um, what would he say and think about you now? I think he would say, um, um, I'm, I'm proud of you for uh, the way you've invested in your dreams and like believed in them and gone after them and, and applied yourself and, and put in all the hard work you need to. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of the, the friends you've kept and have. Um, and, uh, and experience, um, and the way you, you are so connected to everybody who you love in, uh, in your life and, uh, in your family and everything. And, um, now it's time to carry those confidences, uh, into any other place of your life where you have doubt, because look at the fruit it's bared in every place where you maybe had hesitation, like the friendship, mm -hmm. as I experienced at Hackley, like my career, as I experienced in the beginning of it. So now it's time for you to feel just as comfortable with yourself everywhere else and trust what's going to happen, because look what happened in those areas. Damn, this kid is wise. Yo, eighth grade Ryan, so smart. He's also like, what happened? Where did this wisdom go? He's also like, what's keto and why can't I have this Hershey bar at the Tuck, which was our candy shop at, at Hackley? He's also thinking that. Oh, man. Uh, last question is um, I always ask for my guests to fill this out. Okay. Um, Alianka, you really should be asking this. What do you feel I really should be asking? You should really ask me one useful, tangible piece of advice for a young, aspiring broadcaster. And that would be? And that would be to understand, like, the, how important it is to be comfortable with your own personality to do this well and that nothing can replace actual reps. There's no book you can read. There's no speech you can watch. Actual on-air reps or, you know, into your phone or whatever they are, that is how you get better in this business. It is not something that is just, like, taught and learned. It's something you need to do, mm. period, the end. I don't care where it is. I don't care the platform. You have to do it in order to learn it mm. and get better at it. And really, I don't think you had to ask that question, but I figured, ah, maybe it's useful. <laughs> no, it's great. Thank you so much for doing this. Anytime, Alianka. I thank you for having a platform that allows us to have – these kind of like in-depth, fun conversations because I love doing them and I think it serves a great purpose for people. So best of luck moving forward. I know uh, this is going to bear a lot of fruit in your life and the life of other people. Thank you so much.
If you'd like to learn more about Ryan Rucco, please log on to my website, www.aliankalarionov.com slash pod slash Ryan Rucco. That's R-Y-A-N-R-U-O-C-C-O. You can also follow him on the social medias, on Twitter, at Ryan Rucco, and on Instagram, at Ryan Rooks. That's R-Y-R-U-K-E-S. Catch him on Yes Network and ESPN. You can also listen to his podcast with Cece Sabathia. But I personally think that his stories on Instagram are where you'll find your biggest inspiration. As always, from my end, if you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that would be much appreciated. And of course, send me an email anytime that you have suggestions for guests and or future episode ideas. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.